Welcome to the Rika Narrative Podcast, where we advocate a better future through technology. I'm Rizwan Razali, your host for this episode. Our guest for this episode is Adika Amin, a public policy analyst for internet content related with government relations. In the age of speed, we get our information almost instantly. In this episode, Edika discusses the fine balance of policymakers in balancing out freedom of expression while working around cultural sensitivities, while also ensuring the information that's being spread are true and authentic. Living in a data-centric world, it is important for us to be equipped in how we receive and process the information that we are receiving on a daily basis. Edika shares with us his beliefs in how we should navigate around this to keep ourselves informed with the right knowledge. Thank you guys for tuning in. We hope you guys enjoy it. Edika, so let's just kind of um, brief get into your background right um, so you you work with um, policies when it comes to making like um, with okay, like internet and like Correct. online and tech stuff yep so can you share with the audience a bit on what it is that you do and you know like um, maybe did you study it like you know and all this and how did you came about to um, into this industry got it right. okay, just as an introduction uh, my name is Erika as uh, Rizwan mentioned and what I do particularly is I look into tech-related policies. So when we mention tech-related policies, these are things such as uh, data protection law, cybersecurity laws, uh, cloud regulation, or outsourcing agreements around that kind of area. Uh, but what I look into specifically is on content regulation. So this is things, for instance, like misinformation, disinformation, regulation, uh, intermediary liability, over-the-top uh, services, OTT kind of uh, services, so things like OTT streaming, services, okay. so uh, Netflix, YouTube, that right, kind of stuff, right. um, and uh, things like self-regulation around those areas, content Self- takedown. Self-regulation when it comes to, to those areas. Okay, Correct. so can you like um, try to explain it for someone like me, like the layman, <laughs> like, what does that mean? Like, when you say regulate, yep. do you come up with laws to kind of decide on how these things goes, well, or do you recommend stuff? Or yeah. I would say much, much of it is under the recommendation ambit. So uh, okay. there's no one-size-fits-all policy when it comes to content regulation. Some countries are a bit more stricter than others on how they want to regulate certain content uh, to the citizens. So what we do is that we come in and we provide a bit more of kind of global best practices on things that actually work. So we ensure that when these governments introduces these policies, Number one, it doesn't stifle the freedom of expression of its citizens. And number freedom two, of expression. Okay. Uh, yep. And number two, that it doesn't add additional regulatory burdens to our member companies. I see. I see. I see. I see. So when you say member companies, it will be like um, uh, the content providers, uh, say YouTube, Netflix. Correct. Correct. So okay. uh, basically, I'm with the Asia Internet Coalition, uh, okay. where what we do is that we kind of help resolve the understanding and resolution of internet and ICT policies in Asia Pacific. Right. So right. I don't want to name drop our clients, but uh, we do have <laughs> we do have a number of prestigious American tech companies as part of our coalition. I see, I see, I see, I see, I see, I see. Okay, so you can't mention the clients, but basically... Uh, not necessarily. I mean, if you Google Asia Internet Coalition, then sure, you'll then probably get the, the full list of clients. Cli- list of clients, correct. Right, okay. So, just kind of like to, to backtrack everything that you kind of just said, right? Mm-hmm. So, I kind of like what you mentioned earlier on um, to not stifle freedom of expression. So, I think that's a misconception a lot of people tend to have sometimes, right? Mm-hmm. They think that, okay, regulation means that you're here out to take our voices out. Correct. So, but you're not with a governing body you're with uh, the private sector the private sector and you work with closely with all these governing bodies and these companies that exist out there 
um, just to kind of help regulate to keep content um, more or less safe lah. Yes. Okay. So, you know what? The internet has somehow become a big part of our daily lives right mm-hmm. now. You know, um, you think I don't know. You know, when it comes to internet and behavior, it seems it has affected us one way or another. Um, if there's a question I tend to ask myself, right? Um, because the internet has created this impact or um, affected everyday culture as well. Mm-hmm. So I'm just wondering, in your opinion, do you think is it the people that affects the tools, or is it like the tools that are available somehow creates and impact the culture around us? Got it. I I mean, if you were to ask me personally, I think that it would be the people first and how they use the tools because the tools are already out there. Okay. So I believe that it's a social norms thing. Uh, for instance, that we were doing some research on cyberbullying um, and anonymity. So basically, anonymity is the um, art of being anonymous online. So if sure. you're using a pseudo username, and we're trying to see that is there a kind of correlation between being anonymous and aggressive online behavior? Ayo, ayo. So is there is there a correlation? Apparently so, yeah. not. I mean, the no? age that we're living in right now, people don't mind being rude or anything. Even if their name is plastered on their username, they can still voice their views. Do, do you think that's also because that in a way they feel like they can escape um, any kind of consequences or repercussion? Because you're still, your name could be plastered, mm-hmm. but you're still a stranger in the grand scheme of things, right? You know, which um, um like nobody really knows. For example, where you live, unless yeah, yeah you, somebody stalks you, lah. I mean, kind of then again, you can kind of because it's easy for you to be stalked if your name is out there. So let's say if I were to use my real name and I would make very lewd comments or very uh, aggressive comments online, it's just a simple copy paste on a Google, and then you can probably find out where this guy is just by his social media, his. So at the end of the day, I think it's a generation shift as well. Uh, Where we are right now is that particularly with the new generation coming in, I think we tend to voice our views more more apparently. I see. And it's kind of picked up in the internet space. But uh, I think there are researchers, um, I believe it was Leon Rosner and Nicole Kramer. uh, They created like a lab experiment and found that aggressive social norms leads to aggressive language and anonymity has no effect. So, really? Yeah. Yep. So at the end of the day, it's just your social norms that dictates on how oh, aggressive or not you, you know, can okay, be so, Sorry, because this mm-hmm. is quite new to me, right? Because for me, as far as the narrative goes before this is that it's the being anonymous that's what mm-hmm. giving that's what would, that would have given these people the power and the courage to kind of be super yeah. aggressive. But you're saying that the norm is to be aggressive therefore it's the social norms of the individual, the individual. so if okay. let's say if they are brought up in a very right-wing household sure. Sure. some of their sure. views might be a bit more um less traditional, less traditional. or okay. more traditional more depending traditional on how you or, yeah, depending yeah, yeah, on how yeah. you look on it right. and right. at the end of the day the way that they echo these uh, preferences for them it doesn't come off as racist or it, it's just the normal norms and they carry this on to their online behavior as well so there's no real difference. At the end of the day, people will always speak out uh, regardless on the medium that you're using. That, that you're using. Yeah. So you think it's, the, it's just um, right now they have access to these tools, so therefore... They have a wider reach. They have a wider reach. That's these it. voices are... They weren't like... Um, you know, a lot of people would say that, okay, these voices are new mm-hmm. and all this, but it's not like they're new. It's just that they, yeah. they were always there, but they, they didn't have access to this. So then do you, would you blame the tools as well? If you know it gives certain types of individual 
Um, uh, not necessarily, because I think the tools have also kind of... At, at the end of the day, when you're looking at this kind of aggressive behavior, there's three people that you should look at. Uh, number one is the actors themselves. Okay. Number two is the behavior. Sure. And number sure. three is the content. Sure. So at the end of the day, when you talk about social media or the tools, as you mentioned, content is the only thing that they can really have control of. And how they do this is that they employ a few measures. Uh, there are community guidelines, guidelines? where um, if you do not comply with the community guidelines and some of your speech is uh, rather hateful or racist, you will be taken down. Number two is that these companies also deploy machine learning and artificial intelligence to kind of filter through all the content that's being posted. Mm -hmm. So what they do is they feed the AI with certain terms, uh, derogatory terms, terms that I are... Yeah, and uh, this thing instantly gets filtered out. I see. I see and I see, I see, I see. Uh, number three is that uh, these companies also invest heavily into awareness and digital literacy programs. And these are companies that we're talking about um, that a lot of is used on the daily, right? Like the big corporations. Correct, correct. I, I mean, your, your, your Facebook, your Google, Googles, your YouTube. Okay. Yeah. So, I don't know. I mean, like, okay, do you think that... Um, I don't know, man. You know, like... Uh, it seems like you know information is coming to us every day right mm -hmm. now and at one point to me it felt like it was a tool for freedom and liberation and expression mm -hmm. it was a space to kind of uh, for us to learn from the other side and hearing different point of views and all yep. this but right now as you know kind of and that was the age where the internet was was a bit more democratized i felt mm -hmm. uh, right now as you know there's more bigger corporations and yep. And our usage of the internet is quite limited to just a few companies yep. and the monopoly. Do you think, I don't, yeah, like these companies are in a way, you know, do you think that they're, that this is, is a responsibility of theirs, or do you think they they should be held responsible at least for the effect that's um, happening right now? I think, it's good or bad? Uh, no, I think it should be a multi-stakeholder approach because at the end of the day, companies can only do so much. They operate in hundreds of countries around the world, hundreds of countries where you have different social norms, you have different behaviors, sure. you have different languages. Sure. So what I feel is that it should be a multi-stakeholder approach in addressing this problem. In addressing this problem. Okay. Basically, you need the collaboration between government, government. between the industry, industry, between NGOs, and right. also the people themselves. Right. Because the people themselves, they are empowered online. There are uh, user empowerment tools that these companies introduce where they can block out certain content that they feel that they don't want to kind of see in their feed or uh, that they don't want their children to see. For the governments, they can work with these tech companies, the tech companies particularly, yeah. for instance, like Malaysia. If we were to help give a dictionary of terms that they can feed into the AI, Okay. Basically, terms that are in Mandarin, Bahasa, and also uh, Tamil. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, and this mm -hmm. can help with the filtering that the social media companies are doing as well. I see, I see, I see, I see. I see, yep. I see, I see. And then the NGOs particularly, I think there have been a lot of cases. For instance, uh, Taiwan would be one of the best case scenarios where the NGO kind of created a fact check center. Yeah, okay. so Taiwan as a country, they are always subject to misinformation attacks from China. Misinformation attacks from Yeah, China. so basically, well, no, I would say it's disinformation attacks from China because right. it's geared towards an intent to destabilize the current government. Right. Okay. So they spread all this information um, online. And what this fact check center does is that they filter through these news. And if anything comes onto their radar, they post it on their website and say that this is 
this is true. disinformation. Sorry, this is not true. Yeah. Okay, sorry. You, you kind of used um, mm -hmm. two two terms that yep. I felt that that sounded quite similar to each other. You said disinformation and misinformation. Yep. Um, you know, what's like the difference between that and and I guess you know the other uh, big term right now would be. Uh, fake news right yeah. you know like yeah so is there a difference oh yeah absolutely okay. I, I think maybe i'll start with fake news first fake news first yeah? uh okay. very colloquial term it doesn't really yeah it doesn't okay. exist in the policymakers book particularly i see because I fake see. news was a term if i don't quote me on this Sk but it was language, skewed language used yeah. by donald trump donald particularly trump. during his presidential uh, campaign right, right right ideally there's two types of two sets of false information online you have misinformation misinformation which is when um, information is spread but without any intent of causing harm so okay. it can just be that you get a few whatsapp messages you right. forward it uh, to your friends, your friends even right, though right, right. even though it's false right. but you have That's no Misinformation. Okay. Yeah, but you have no, there's no intent for you to kind of cause Causing. disharmony okay. or discause harm. So, so that one, if I were to give an example, would be mm -hmm. um, the uncles and aunties we know Correct. who read like, you know, okay, coffee can cure COVID. They exactly. Read the headline and to them, it's like, oh, I got this from a friend that I knew since yep. high school, so I'm going to spread it around. Mm -hmm. So they don't mean any harm by it, but they just don't really know um, any better or how to handle how fast is that the information comes there. Absolutely, that, you got it. it. And then disinformation is um, spreading information with the intent to cause harm. Okay. So this is what you might see from uh, the China and Taiwan uh, context that we shared just now. So sure. China just sharing false information to destabilize the government of Taiwan. Right. You see it with political parties, uh, particularly during election periods where they run smear campaigns uh, across their opponents. So this would be considered as disinformation. That's disinformation, yeah. right. So that's with the intent of just kind of creating... I see. Wow, that's, that's, uh, that's a scary thing though. Like, you know, how would you, you know, ask us or uh, how would people just kind of even go about the days right now, you know, um, to, to, to kind of be able to tell the difference between, yep. between all of this? Yeah. How do so you navigate that? I, I guess there's a few things. Um, uh, what the industry has been doing is that they've kind of put up tools that will empower the users. For instance, if we take Twitter and if there's a breaking news feed or anything, you can always check the source of the tweet. So source if the tweet is coming from a verified account, okay. you can kind of tell that, oh, it's coming from a legitimate news source. Sure, sure. On WhatsApp, for example, I think about two, three years ago, they created the forwarded box, which means that if a message is forwarded more than five times, uh -huh. you'll see that there's like a forwarded tab on top of the message right. that yes. shows that yes. this has been kind of reused, recycled, recycled right? constantly okay. across people. Yeah. Um, number two goes on the users. Um, I think you need to kind of do the back work. If you read something that is a bit fishy, yeah. there's no harm for you to just go online and just kind of Google it Google and see it. if there's any, yeah, right. to see if there's any legitimate news sources reporting on it. Right. And I, I think um, the third is you, there can always be kind of, NGOs can play a role as NGOs well, creating fact check centers. Okay. And NGOs have been known to work very well with both the industry and the government. Because when you have a third party that doesn't have a vested interest in either government, political right. or industry profits, yeah. it goes through that NGO, it can kind of come up with more clear 
equitable um, equitable they, news. They, they have a, a they don't have vested interests. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So right. they they'll be they'll so be do you out think there. That would be one of the best ways for governments to handle policy changes and stuff when it comes to handling like in a safe online content mm-hmm. that it should work with NGOs. Is that the the main thing you think? The problem is that I I think one of the things that technology has brought is volume. Um, everything is subscription based. If you look into Spotify, you look into YouTube premium, they charge very low fees, but mm. it's about high volume. Mm. And it's the same thing with content. There's a high volume of content Contents circulating out there. So at the end of the day, if you want to introduce legislation, things can always go out of trend very quickly. And then if you yeah. go through the legislative yeah, yeah. process, it takes a while because yeah, you have to gazette the legislation, has to go through parliamentary process, has to go through public consultations. Sure. Sure. So what would be a key thing right now and what is being employed by a lot of tech companies is self-regulation. 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 For, for us, the individual. Uh, for the companies to run companies. self-regulation. Yep. Okay. So self-regulation would basically be that um, they would put a code of practice that is agreed by okay. a few industry players on how they would react uh, to addressing harmful contents. Okay. They would put in procedures on how they deal with harmful content. So what right, would be right. the kind of the way that um, the way that they would address this in terms of the machine learning and the AI would kind of filter out immediately the very, very bad, bad stuff that right, is right. caught under its ambit. Yeah. And then if there are requests to for certain content to be removed, there's going to be uh, at least a procedure that people can follow. So you can um, individuals can report harmful okay. content. Uh, that will be addressed. Governments can also go to the tech companies and ask for content to be removed. Right, right. And again, they'll follow this procedure to ensure that it's a very transparent pro- process. And you're not just removing it because the government tells you to remove it or because if it runs against what the government is thinking. Sure, sure. So at least it's um, everyone has a say in terms of you know like what's okay, what's not okay. Right? Absolutely. You know, because it's not just... As you say, on one hand, you do not want the government to have full control and power to say what's right, what's wrong. And the people need to be able to say that as well. Absolutely. And yeah. But what, what okay, so right now we're talking about that dangerous content, right? What mm-hmm. would you be consider, aside from, say, something that completely destabilize um, mm-hmm. a government and all this, you know, just create kind of havoc and anarchy in, in a society, yep. like, like what would be the other kind of softer um you know, like, like would affect us on a day-to-day, you think, you know? For, if we go, because again, there's no one-size-fits-all on what is considered as harmful dangerous content, content yeah. dangerous content. For Malaysia particularly, it's the three R's that is heavily looked into. Okay. Royalty, Royalty, religion, race. So any content that Royalty. is... Royalty. Yeah. Royalty, okay. Royalty, religion, yeah, race. race. These um, are the super sensitive... These are the super sensitive things that sure. can cause a bit of havoc sure. uh, in, in the region. But what we're also seeing globally is that uh, there is a bit more additional attention put into uh, child safety. Child safety. And human safety. Uh, uh, and women's safety. Women's safety, okay, 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 okay. So child safety particularly is things like um, the kind of contents that they are able to see. Uh, grooming. Um, potential for internet grooming. So internet basically, grooming, yes. Okay. So basically... Um, someone approaching a minor and trying to oh god okay, yeah okay, okay, yep. okay. oh my god yes, and then yes, a yes, woman's yes. safety we're looking into kind of sexual harassments right uh, kind of right stuff. right it's as though like they don't have enough problems in the real world correct outside as it is right but how, how does that okay now how do you deal with that dude? because that's like 
a pretty scary world to know that um like you said um, um grooming children from a very mm-hmm. young age you know because now it's not just that it's a physical space that needs to happen it could be happening online and yep. you don't even really know you know if you have Correct. kids like you know, they're in the room who are they interacting with and all that like yeah like how could parents or us just you know as um yeah like i think um a lot of tech companies uh, introduce a concept called age gating where age gating yeah so age gating or age verification where they kind of if you want to open a social media account you must have be of a certain age they're, they're starting that now uh, i mean it's uh, it's mostly always existed uh, yeah, across a lot of but it can it can be open to um look how many times we've clicked that we're above 18 though you know yeah, when it, we were younger in those, in those times like how much um verification could you have to do correct to like, yeah. and, and there's a reason behind this because i think um the there have been pushes to do age verification where you kind of have to register with a government id with a government id okay but that causes problems because what you're basically doing is that you're limiting certain groups of people from being able to use the power of the internet right uh right. for instance there might be refugees who might not have uh proper ids Okay. Um, okay. And these are the groups that you're kind of alienating away from um, when, it comes. when it comes. And then there are also privacy concerns as well because um, putting in a government ID for age gating or age verification, sure. you're, putting, sure. you're, you're putting in a great amount of personal data sure. that if anything were to happen, I don't think that uh, it, the, the consequences would be very, very uh, detrimental. It's detrimental. Uh, okay, okay, okay. So yes, of course... Um, at the end of the day, the industry can only do so much. Right. That's why we go back to that kind of multi-stakeholder approach multi-stakeholder where approach. there should be user right. empowerment, whereas parents can kind of control the contents, um, the kind of sites that their children can visit. Right. They can also control the content that their children are able to see. For instance, right. Netflix, you have a child-only, uh, you can tick a box, child-only, where it'll just show only age-appropriate content. Age-appropriate content, yep. all right. So let's just say, okay, right now we're kind of on a theme of basically staying safe on the internet, right? Mm-hmm. You know, kind of finding like um, a little bit of truth, a little bit of like, you know, just kind of just being secure from harmful content. Do you think that at the same time, you know, um, the tech and the tools we have right now are catching up or are they progressing way faster than people can actually catch up? You know, the next thing you know, is like suddenly, you know, you, ha- you have... Uh, um, kids who you know, like I remember last time when when we had Astro, a lot of people viewed it as quite. Uh, it's like you know, like I remember to my parents that was quite bizarre. And mm-hmm. suddenly you have Cartoon Network from eight a.m. to five p.m. <laughs> as opposed to you know it was just Saturday and Sundays it was yeah. limited, and now it's like twenty four hours. Yep. Any time of the day they want to watch something, they can click it and they they, they can just choose it, right? You know, yep. there's no more like videotapes and all that. Like so. I, I don't know, yeah, do you think that, is that inherently a good thing or a bad thing or, yeah? I, I think the freedom of choice is always a good thing, okay. uh, particularly with how vast and wide-ranging things are these days. Okay. But again, these are the things, user empowerment is key. Um, user empowerment is key. The, the, the tools are there for parents to use. For instance, they can limit watching time. Sure. Uh, for sure. their children and again they can limit the contents or the types of contents that their children views online yeah. so back to your question I think that the threats are evolving very quickly right and this is why we shouldn't have very one-sided 
overarching regulations because these regulations can't evolve as quickly as the as the threats. I see, I see. I so get it. I this get is why self-regulation yeah. plays a key role. Uh, right. Self-regulation codes of conduct between yeah. industry plays a key role. And one example is that look how quickly it evolved during COVID. Mm, so mm, basically, you've gone from normal, hateful, harmful speech right. to kind of like false health related stuff, yes, like the toilet yeah. paper thing, right. the kind of cures. Right. And these are the things that the tech company stepped up with immediately, even I without see, the government telling them. They noticed see, that there was a high volume of false information being so spread. They would have to, okay. So they were the ones who filtered out this content. So this is why self-regulation plays a key role, because they can kind of handle forward-looking threats okay. immediately. But also, right, mm -hmm. uh, you're kind of also at the same time giving a lot of trust for the masses to be a bit more mature and to understand that these tools should be used a certain way rather than, you know, um, yep. allowing the, the tools to kind of sway their views and, you know, because end of the day, like, like um, a lot of these platforms are still about profit-making, right? You know, and especially about the kind of information that they're yep. getting. They don't really care um, per se, of course, you're, you're, what you're saying, and I, I think it's true that there is, mm -hmm. um, to an extent, that they would censor um, harmful information, but at the same time, they can't be responsible for everything that's been deemed uh, dangerous and not dangerous, right? So, I don't know, like, how would you create or think that, you know, is it even possible for us to have a more mature society consumer and yep. that, that how because i feel like that's the only way self-regulation could happen so you know yeah. absolutely and i think there's so many components to this sure number sure. one is that um there should be more regular dialogue between the government and the industry. Okay. I think what they can do is they can meet on a quarterly basis where they can kind of share the information. These are the upcoming trends, at least from the regulators' point of, uh, point of view. Yeah. Because people yeah. usually, if there is some harmful content in Malaysia, people will make a report to MCMC. Okay. <coughs> MCMC would have the most um, current threats and threats that they can share with the, with the industry. Mm -hmm. And the industry would be able to kind of readjust their surveillance on, uh, on the content. On the content, right. So right, they can right, kind right. of feed a bit, more, a bit more information on the algorithm to be more cautious about in terms of taking, taking down uh, content. Sure. sure. Number two is that the industry have uh, invests heavily in digital literacy programs. Digital so if you look programs, at um, right. Facebook, for instance, they created the We Think Digital program, where it kind of promotes the basic concept of digital literacy. And digital literacy is where it should start. Uh, I think digital literacy is going to become as important as financial literacy is. Right, right. And uh, basically, this is the kind of basic rules of conduct that you should observe when you're online. And I right. think that as governments, this is something that they can work with the tech companies and inculcate at an early age. There should be digital literacy programs in school because sure. this is the new generation that's going to climb up. Climb up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're going to be used. Yeah. They're going to be online, right. potentially in the metaverse in a couple exactly, of years. So. Exactly. Right. Right. So you know what? I really like what you said about you know um, what what governments can do in terms of, especially when it comes to just kind of helping us catch up with the tools and how do we manage around all this. But as individuals, right? Like, what do you think would be the next steps? Uh, we can take, especially as Malaysians, considering the context that we're in, mm -hmm. you know, there's a lot of um, 
aside from just keeping our kids safe and you're talking about women getting harassed you know there's yep. all this kind of cyber bullying also that's happening right? yep like what would be your suggestion or or you know um, so I, I think basically um, what COVID has done is that it's thrusted everyone online regardless of your age group right, uh, right. prior to this I think you can survive not being online, online yeah, right. but given global lockdowns trends that we thought would take years to form formed within a couple months uh with online, online working classes, online, online working, working online work classes food right. delivery which food has delivery. become an yeah, essential yeah, yeah, yeah. part of that's everyone's it. lives that's it yeah so the key word here is that you need to be agile you need to know that there are evolving threats and you need to be agile in meeting them okay um okay. what could be done right now is that again um, it's not something that happens overnight this is something that's new we're coming into a new era uh, awareness and information dissemination will be key during this point okay, so okay. the industry is more than willing to work with government bodies sure, uh, sure. to kind of promote digital literacy programs it needs to start from young age from the young age okay. you at the same time it's important that no one is left behind because i think the middle age group is somewhat okay to balance these sure. risks but yeah, particularly yeah, yeah. from the old ages as well uh, yeah really de tough, definitely yeah. and um they they are more prone to spread misinformation as well <laughs> yes yeah. but it's not any fault of their own right? no yeah, not, not at all they're just not familiar Correct. with um, the internet culture because honestly for me as well that I think we come from that generation where we pretty much grew up with the internet yep. and even then I feel like the changes that happened was just was even too much for me to, yep. uh, to kind of catch up with and just feel like you know because the culture change mm -hmm. everything just kind of yeah so imagine if you're older and this is your first Absolutely. exposure yep. to like you know so I don't really blame them for like oh look you know my friend sent me um, this that you know uh, five ways to cure COVID yeah yeah. so it's not like they're stupid or anything you know because or it's just that they just don't understand the, the culture and the language because it, back in their days probably everything was true absolutely just, and yeah. no no and I think all they need is just the nudge in the right direction just because then direction. it goes it goes back to that uh, digital literacy programs can be run that's it yeah. uh, they will need to participate they need to better understand what are the tools that have been put that are available right now to kind of highlight to kind of show where the source of information is coming from i see okay. uh, like i mentioned the whatsapp thing if yeah. it has been forwarded more than multiple times and they're getting a forwarded message it's not that hard for them to kind of go online and just fact check this mm. uh, particularly when it comes to covid cures i think mm. um, there are ngos that set up international databases right. where they kind of capture videos messaging um, any kind of reports Right. And they run fact checks to make sure if it's if it's right or if it's not. Yeah, yeah. Um, and and then everybody needs to do their due diligence as well before sharing information. It's good for you to kind of verify the source before right. you become the source of that oh, information. Yeah. Information, right. yeah. Right, yeah, yeah. So it, it it's it's online etiquette, right. and again, it's not something that can be changed overnight. overnight but we right. do need to start the early works of it. Because again, I, I, I put this with emphasis that social media companies are investing a lot of money into uh, self-regulating, self okay. uh, putting in specific teams, local teams that can help with more local content. Sure. Sure. Um, they are also reviewing their programs on a yearly basis to see right. what works, what doesn't what work, work, how it can we improve. Okay. And then they also have the back-end tech stuff that they use 
But at the end of the day, as you mentioned, with the amount of information, the industry can only do so, so much. much right? So it has to be a multi-stakeholder yeah, approach. I, I would have, um, just before we kind of wrap this mm -hmm. up, I just kind of want, don't know if you agree with this, but you know, I feel like sometimes one of the best ways to kind of manage through all this is also kind of taking a step back every now and then. Mm -hmm. you know, that's what I would like uh, tend to do because it's just so much information, even yep. as one guy, just to kind of you know, understand and just kind of how you process it. I think it's more of processing the information yeah. as well to know between what's harmful and what's not, right? Um, and, you know, again, I'm not asking anyone to be uh, like, you know, like a hippie or live in a cave <laughs> or a hermit that way you don't use any form of technology and, you know, you just kind of, um, you know, become one of those Amish guys <laughs> and, you know, I'm not, that's not what I'm, I'm preaching at yeah. all, but I think just kind of, you know, maybe every now and then, you know, like once a month or, you know, even once a week, just having a day where you're just completely uh, detox from technology can sometimes also help, um, you know, again, it goes back to it's us using the tools rather than the tools kind of maybe not use us, but you know what I mean? You know? yeah. It's just, yeah, it affects you in a way that you don't want to be affected in that sense. Yeah, yeah I, I think, yeah, definitely. Um, at the end of the day, this is a self-preference. Right. Um, if a break from the internet will do you good, um, Why not, I say right? go all Why for not? it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, if you do choose to remain online, I think it's important for us to just remain cognizant of the risk right. that is there yeah. and also yeah. understand what's already being done, being done yeah. and yeah. Uh, understand that as this evolves, yeah. there will be more safeguards put in place as that's well. That's fair, that's fair, that's fair. Alright, Erika, I think um, <laughs> yeah, that's all really good points. Is there anything you want to end with? Uh, do you want to add anything else before we wrap up today's episode? Or? No, I think that's it. That's Thanks it. for having me. Okay, alright. Thank you, pleasure. No, definitely, <laughs> definitely, definitely. We'll look forward to uh, maybe you know, having you next round. Sounds good, sounds cool, good. Cool, I was cool, happy. Cool. Alright guys, that's it for today's episode. I uh, hope you guys uh, enjoyed. If there's, you know, um, you want to check out more of what Erika does, it'll be all in the link in our description. You can uh, find him there on LinkedIn. That's the social media you're on. And of course, you can have a look at AIC's website to have a look at um, uh, and understand more of the work that you do. And until uh, the next episode, guys, we'll see you around. Bye. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in to Rika Narratives. For more updates, follow us on our social media at Reka Studios or visit our website at reka.re. See you guys on the next episode.